Hello, North Point. My name is Chuck Kennedy. Thank you very much for having me as part of your online services this week. Um, my sermon today is called Still Called, Still Qualified, Still Chosen. So today we are going to focus on two very significant moments in Peter's walk with Christ, his calling and his reconciliation. And my hopes today is that you will see yourself in these stories and recognize that like Peter, you are still called, still qualified, and still chosen. So Peter was just an ordinary fisherman before he met Jesus. Now I am a huge fan of Peter. I always picture him as a friendly, fun, outspoken guy. Um, so in Canada, we have a particular brand of human that we call Newfies. Uh, they come here to Alberta from Newfoundland for work. They're known as hardworking, fun-loving brawlers who would give you the shirt off their back if you needed it. They're always uh, the loudest people in Walmart and they never lose that unique accent that they arrive with. I love Newfies and I think Peter was the original Newfie. So in Luke chapter 5, we meet Peter at his workplace. His friends called him by his birth name, Simon. He's on the seashore, he's cleaning his nets, and Jesus walks down to the water's edge and gets in his boat. So we can pick that up in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Can you imagine this scene? You and your buddies have been working a late shift and you are almost ready to clock out. And some guy shows up and wants you to go back to work. Furthermore, this guy who gets in your boat is not a fisherman. He's a traveling preacher. But Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. See, I don't know a lot about fishing from this type of boat, but I've done some research. The general practice was to get the boats and the nets ready in the evening and set sail around dusk, just as the sun was going down. They would sail out into open waters and let out the nets and hopefully catch fish as the boat sailed back to shore. It was a long, cold, and wet process. Simon and his friends had just been out all night and had caught nothing. They had completely failed at the one thing they could do to put food on their tables. In terms of a job, these men aren't paid by the hour. They are paid by the amount of fish they bring in. And last night they made nothing. And now this traveling preacher tells them to let down their nets. For some reason they choose to do what he suggests without argument and they let down the nets. So in Luke 5 verse 6 to 7 it says when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. They let down their nets and they hit the jackpot. They caught so many fish that their boats started to sink. In one tiny act of compliance, 
Simon made him and his friends rich beyond their wildest dreams. They had hauled in the catch of the century. And I love this part in verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. When a man comes face to face with God, he is immediately struck by his own unworthiness. He's reminded of his failures, of his shame, and of his guilt. And we can see that the long finger of condemnation touches Simon's heart and he recoils. But Jesus did not come down to the seashore to condemn the fishermen, but to redirect their skills for a new mission. Jesus calls Simon into a life of purpose. He asks him to abandon his boats, his nets, and his security for a grand adventure. To his credit, Simon drops the nets. He abandons his boat and his miraculous catch of fish, and he follows the king of kings away from his old life. Called, qualified, chosen. There is something so beautiful about this moment. There is no doubt that Peter felt called. He may have felt internally unqualified, but when Jesus, the, the healing, traveling rabbi, chooses you, you kind of assume that he knows something about you that you maybe don't. Now, so many of us have felt this way when we first gave our hearts to Jesus. As the executive director of Camp Camasol, I had the privilege of watching this moment happen in the lives of campers all summer long. There is something absolutely magical when Jesus speaks into the mind and the heart of a child. He interrupts them with his grace, his peace, and his forgiveness. And there is a light in their eyes that is unmistakable. Do you remember that moment when you felt called? Maybe not qualified, but chosen. Because you understood for the first time that the God of the universe died for you. Now as we read through the Gospels, we watch as Peter grows in his relationship to Jesus. We see his faith grow and his confidence builds. We watch as he gains access to the inner circle. The disciples spent every day with Jesus, traveling around the country. Jesus performed miracles of healing and feeding those who were in need. He walked on water and raised the dead. And Simon and the disciples got to see and experience it all. But one of my favorite stories comes from Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Now that part of me that relates to Peter can see this situation so clearly. The other disciples are currently patting themselves on the back for their astute clarity on the subject. They know they have answered well, and then they watch in horror as Jesus singles out Peter. Peter the loudmouth, Peter the excitable, Peter the guy who jumps into every situation before considering the outcome. And Jesus answers, or Simon Peter answers, 
You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I can see the, the other disciples backing up to make room for the lightning strike. Peter had just declared a human being to be God. According to every ancient law, he had just committed blasphemy and they needed to say their quick goodbyes. But Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Boom. What an epic moment. I know that Peter walked a lot taller that day. The beauty of this story is that Peter moved from simply a follower of Jesus to a believer. He had confessed with his mouth what he believed in his heart. He was now willing to take a risk for the sake of this truth he was just beginning to understand. He was starting to feel qualified. And then things begin to unravel for Peter. There's a brutal moment where Jesus is talking about his impending sacrifice and Peter tries to dissuade him. Jesus actually called him Satan in that moment. There was that time at the Last Supper where Jesus was explaining how everyone would turn against him and Peter refused to believe it and then Jesus went to further to clarify that Peter would actually deny him three times. Then there was that confusing time in the garden where the soldiers arrived and in his panic Peter cut off someone's ear and Jesus took the time to redirect him. And then there were those three times, the famous denials, the betrayals that ring out through history. I don't know him. Then Jesus dies. In this moment, I ache for Peter because those emotions are so familiar to me. We all know what it's like to have all these plans, all these dreams of the things we are going to do for Jesus. And with Jesus, we know what it's like to feel called, qualified, and chosen. And we know what it's like when we feel like we no longer deserve those titles. When things we've done and the times we've failed seem so large, so insurmountable, so unforgivable, and we take ourselves out of the game. And this is where we find Peter in John chapter 21. So as the story continues, Jesus rose from the grave and he appeared to his disciples. There's no doubt that he is God, no doubt that he is alive, just like he said, but now what? So we pick up the story in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, if this scenario feels familiar, that's good. It means that you've been paying attention. The last time we saw these friends fishing together was way back in Luke 5 at the very beginning. Back before they met Jesus. Back before they dropped everything and followed him. Before all the miracles and the journeys across the lake. Before the triumphant entry and the washing of feet before the Garden of Gethsemane and the washing of hands, before the denial and the denial and the denial, before all hell broke loose and everything they understood to be true fell apart. Yes, Jesus rose again, but what were they, his disciples, supposed to do now? They were lost, 
and confused and unsure. So they return to what they used to do before everything changed. John chapter 21 verse 4 says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Something about that moment screams of deja vu. We've been here before. The disciples have been out all night and have caught no fish. At one point in their lives, they were expert fishermen. They all knew how this thing worked. You get the boats ready, and you get your nets ready, and you get your bait ready, and, and you, you sail out. You leave. You head out to open waters. You, you set sail to float back into shore, dragging your nets. And over the course of the evening, you get fish. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. I can imagine that the discussions on the boat got pretty lively at this point. Who is this guy to tell us how to fish? We've been out all night. There are clearly no fish out here. Other side of the boat? Are you kidding me? If there are no fish on this side of the boat, it's not like the fish are just on the other side. We are in a boat. We are not attached to the bottom of the sea. The fish can swim under us. This is ridiculous. And yet, they pull in the nets and they cast them out on the other side. Why not? They've already been out all there out all night. They are already cold and wet and annoyed. What could be the problem with another cast before we call it quits? And in John chapter 21, verse 6, we read, When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. In a moment of realization that hits like a thunderclap, John realizes who this stranger on the land really is, and Peter does what he does best. He's a man of action. He jumps off the boat and heads to shore, leaving his buddies to bring in the nets and the boats. John 21 verse 9 says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Is there anything in the world as priceless as this moment? Jesus already had fish. They've been out all night and have caught absolutely nothing. And Jesus already had fish. I love this. I like to think that Jesus had a bit of a grin as he had just played the subtlest prank in the history of the world. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time. Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This whole scene makes me smile. Everyone is happy. Everyone is talking at the same time. Everyone is eating until they are bursting at the seams. The sun is out. The fire is warm. The icy chill of a night on the sea is starting to recede. 
into a distant memory and then the proverbial elephant in the room arrives. I think that some of the disciples felt it before others. In my mind, I see that one by one they all find something to do. Suddenly, the entire beach is a bustle of quiet activity as men start to pack up nets, gather wood, and shuffle grains of sand with their sandals as they attempt to appear busy while trying to hear what is being said back at the campfire. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He doesn't say it in the text, but I think Jesus motions to the fish. Did you also notice that he uses Peter's old name? Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs and take care of my sheep. Inside, Peter is aching for the chance to do just that, but I sense that he no longer feels worthy. He knows that he failed. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Can you feel the tension on the beach? Every man is busy pretending to be active while being as quiet as they can. The waves continue to crash into the shore and the fire continues to crackle. Peter's eyes flash from tears to anger to deep, deep sorrow and regret. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, simply feed my sheep. Jesus knows that Peter is sorry. He is God. He knows all things. Jesus knows that the second the rooster crowed that Peter was in shock at his own betrayal. Jesus knows that Peter had felt inadequate and disqualified since that moment. Jesus knows that when Peter discovered the empty tomb that his grief turned to relief and then quickly turned to shame. Jesus knows that Peter had already begun to plan his quiet return to normal life and was just waiting for Jesus to release him. I imagine that Peter is ready to give back the keys to heaven and hell because he had already deemed himself unworthy of them. But Jesus is not here to crush Peter in shame or guilt. Jesus is not here to remind him of his failure. Jesus is here to give Peter back his calling. He is here to offer forgiveness and reconciliation and to move on with the business at hand, setting Peter free to do what he was built for, to be the man he was designed to be. Peter the hothead, Peter the exuberant, Peter the walking on water and cutting off ears guy, Peter the open mouth insert foot guy, Peter the rock, the fisher of men. There is a moment in Acts chapter 2 which I absolutely love. The Spirit shows up. And things get crazy in Jerusalem, and someone needs to address the crowd. I don't imagine that the disciples are looking to Peter, yet he's the one who stands up and he addresses the crowd. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. 
I imagine at this point the disciples felt like maybe someone else should address the crowd. I'm sure they looked at each other, but Peter just kept going. The same guy who stepped out of the boat then fell under the waves for lack of faith kept going. The same guy who panicked in the garden and cut off the guard's ear kept going. The same guy who had denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed kept going. He quoted from the prophet Joel. He unpacked how this same Jesus who walked among them was the Messiah who had been predicted all along. He spoke about miracles and wicked men. He spoke about crosses and empty tombs. He quoted from King David and showed how those same verses that were written thousands of years before Related to them today, he spoke about repentance and baptism. And when he had finished talking, over 3,000 people believed in Jesus. Peter stood up and addressed the crowd because Jesus had freed him. Freedom from his pain, freedom from his shame. Over a campfire and a conversation about lambs, Jesus freed him from his regret and released him to passionately run into the darkness, screaming the name of Jesus for all to hear. It is not... God's desire that we stay broken. It is not his desire that we stay out of the game. It is not his desire that we sit on the sidelines and let someone else lead. God still has a plan for you. God still has a place for you. God still has a purpose for you. You are still called, still qualified, still chosen. I don't know why you are questioning God's calling but God isn't. I don't know what is making you feel unqualified, but if Jesus could use Peter, he can probably use you. I don't know what lie you've accepted that has convinced you that you are unloved, unworthy, unwanted. You are chosen for this time and this place and this people, and all you have to do to accept this role is to receive Jesus' love, his forgiveness, and his call. Jesus is asking you to feed his lambs.